You're listening to The 80-20 Show, an inside look into the music industry. Welcome back, everybody, to The 80-20 Show. I am your host, Mike Zimmerlich, and happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I hope all of you are being safe out there and enjoying being with family in whatever way possible, whether it's safely indoors, outdoors, uh, you know, whatever the case is, over virtual conferencing, anything like that. Just I hope that everyone is being safe and healthy out there. So my next guest, I couldn't think of a better person, especially for the time of giving and thanks, is my own brother, Brian Zimmerlich. Now, you might be asking yourself, why am I interviewing my brother on a music industry podcast? Well, Brian was actually a partner of 8020 Records for a couple of years. This was after it formed, and Brian wanted to do something different in his life, and so we had a really good conversation, and he came on board. So I feel that this episode has so many lessons about not only what it's like to work with family, but also what it's like to work with a business partner. And, uh, you know, Brian's no longer a partner of the company. He decided to move on to other things. And, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty touch and go there for a little while, uh, closer to the end when he decided to move on. And it did put a strain on a relationship. Uh, fortunately, uh, our relationship now is better than it ever has been. So I'm very, very grateful for that. So I want this episode to really showcase the ups and downs of those of having a business relationship with only not only family but just a partnership as well. So please enjoy this episode with my guest, Brian Simmerlich. Well thank you, Brian, for coming on to the show. How are you today? I'm doing great, Mike. Yourself? Doing pretty good. So I'm bringing you on board for a lot of reasons. One of them is I want to talk about it's not just for the fact that you're my brother. I wanted to bring you on board because I want to talk about partnerships with family. I know a lot of people out there, they think that you shouldn't be doing business with family, that it's just going to cause a stress in relationships and it's going to cause mm-hmm. problems and falling out. And ironically, that's almost happened to us. So I wanted to talk about the fact that you were a partner for A20 Records for many years. And I want to talk about what that experience was like, what happened there, and how much of a strain put on a relationship, and what happens afterwards. And I'm very, very fortunate, um, I think we both are, that not only were we able to overcome that, but at the same token, too, I think our relationship has become stronger because of it. Definitely. So... Uh, before we get there, though, we want to go back in time Ooh. and go back many, many, many years ago when you and I were both kids because both of our parents are entrepreneurs. And yep. as long as we've been alive, they have been entrepreneurs. They've been very, very successful. My father, our father, excuse me, has created uh, a software company. And then uh, about 10, 12 years ago, both uh, our mother as well as our father created a photography studio, a very... Yep well-established, flourishing photography studio. So the entrepreneur life has always been a part of our life since day one. So I want to definitely talk about them more and because a lot of people also think too, well, what kind of, what kind of life was that? Because for us, it was really interesting because I'm going way back when is that it just felt natural that our parents worked from home, right? And as well as, you know, when we took vacations, we took all kinds of different types of vacations here and there. So exactly. I, I want to riff on that a little bit. So what were what your memories? Like, what was your earliest memory about our folks working? Uh, well, I, w- I would say two. So to your first point about them always working from home. Uh, well, for the most part, working from home. I think there were a couple of years while we were living in New York where they uh, had the office. And then when we moved out to Phoenix, they had an office as well. But for the vast majority of the time, they've always had a home office. And so one of my earliest memories was when they had the home office in New York. Um, Mom would have her uh, ladies' nights in the basement where they would do, um, you know, like the different kinds of paintings and that kind of stuff. Um, And I remember actually going into uh, their office and just laying on the floor while Dad was getting work done in the evening. Um, And then for vacation... 
I remember always learning the quiet parts of Disney World because mom and dad would have to go on the phone to either call up tech support, make sure everything was working just fine there, or having to call customers. And we always had to make sure that we were in the quietest place possible so that way he didn't hear Disney background music or crowds. Um, And I I think for me, it's kind of interesting because I'm definitely the black sheep of the family. You know, I work in corporate America and I have worked in corporate America for over, uh, well, as of this recording, over a decade, more than the decade. Um, and a lot of people that I work with don't understand the concept of, well, I shouldn't say the concept. They don't understand that from, from my perspective, I'm used to always working or at least always checking in. So when I'm on vacation or whatever, I'm always reaching out to work. I'm checking my emails. I'm doing a lot of that stuff. And a lot of my coworkers are like, why don't you just you know, turn off your phone, just ignore work for a while? I'm like... That's not the way I was raised. My parents always worked. They always made time for the family, but they also always worked. So there was that balance. Um, So for me, when I tell work, I'm not working, I hope that they respect that. But then at the same time, even if I say I'm not going to work, there's times I'm checking in and doing stuff like that. And that's because of the way we were raised with our folks. Absolutely. And what I like to say is that our folks worked consistently so that they didn't have to work all the time. Yeah, that's a very good point. So what they did is they realized that if they took a, you know, let's say they took a week off or two weeks off of vacation and didn't do any kind of work, then they know that when they get back, there's going to be that much more that they're going to have to do. Yep. So the problem, and then the problem is that if they did that, where it would be two weeks straight of, let's say, not working at all, the possibilities of when they're able to take off are going to be much slimmer because that's the thing is like to just completely go away because it's so essential to the business. They have to really pick the times right. But mm-hmm. since we were very understanding about that situation, we went on vacations a lot more frequently, most yeah. than others because of that reason, because yeah, we understood. We yeah. We were very fortunate in that. And you know, we would go, I mean, there were many times where we would go on vacations all year round, like, you know, here and there. And that was because of the fact that they were able to take phone calls and do those different types of things while we were away. And, you know, I I mean, I don't know about you, but that never, that never really bothered me. I don't think I ever felt neglected or that we were not a priority. We understood that they were running business as long as I remember that they were running a business and they needed to get things taken care of. And that's, you know, we would keep ourselves occupied in whatever that was. And even, even at Disney World, right? It's like we understood it was a nice little, to be honest, a little nice little break, like yeah. five, 10 it minutes. It worked for us too. Yeah. Right? Because we just like hanging out and just relaxing and doing whatever, the, you know, whatever it is over there. And just, you know, just hanging out for like five, 10 minutes while they take some phone calls. Yeah, and I think mom and dad were very smart about it, very strategic, because they would time their breaks with when we would need a break. Especially, you know, when we were talking about Disney World when we were living in New York, you know, we moved when I was, what, 11 years old? But for the vast majority of the time, I needed a nap because I was still a young little kid. So they were very smart in knowing, okay, Brian needs to take a break, so let's break. He's going to take a nap or do whatever. Let's get um, on the phone, start making phone calls. And they never really did it for very long. So they could do it, you know, 10, 15, 20-minute check-in, and that was it, and then we can go back. So they might have to take more frequent breaks, maybe every couple of hours. But for us, it didn't make a difference because it was like 5, 10, 15 minutes, maybe something like that. Nothing uh, ridiculously long. So I think because of all those factors, it really made it not an impact to us but allowed them to still – keep the business running and not have that huge burden of work when they get back it's true and and just to put some uh context and it's going to age us a little bit this is like 20 25 years ago there weren't smartphones or anything along those lines no, so they, it was just it was just phone it was just it was just cell phone and them checking in and, and c- ipacks yeah exactly even bc i know and that was that was i mean i remember a time before even then it was just literally just yeah. the cell phone and yeah, it was just their cell phone, which even then is kind of a miracle that they had one at the time. It's um, true. But they were able to call in and say, hey, what was the story? And then eventually they had pocket PCs. So granted, there was no Wi-Fi or anything in the parks at that time, but they were able to download all of the client information so that way they can call into the office, see who they had to deal with, and then look at their pocket PC to see any relevant information or at least the latest, and then give them a call and keep the business running. And the customer wouldn't know that they weren't even at home. Exactly. 
Yeah, it was amazing. And the, the other thing I wanted to mention, too, is like even in the hotel room, and that was the other thing that they did really well, is that in the hotel room, when you and I were either sleeping or we were doing our homework, because a lot of times we were taking vacations and we were <laughs> skipping school, basically. Like You were. I was, yeah. At the time, I was. And so I would just get my homework. And the teachers will say, just go ahead. Here's the next, you know, the next week or two of homework. And I would just do that in the hotel room. And that would also be a good time for them to do their, to, for our folks to do yeah. their own work because they would have their laptops and they would just plug in the internet there and so forth. So they made, they made it work. And I appreciated that. And I, that's the lesson that I've learned today is that, you know, I'm always, I'm constantly working, but at the same token too, is that I'm not you know, working so much that I'm stressing myself out. I'm working consistently instead of just taking major breaks here and there. And mm-hmm. I, I find that I, I prefer the lifestyle because then I can enjoy myself. And then instead of you know, working, you know, if, for example, if there's a day that I really don't, am not up to working a full eight hours or 10 hours or whatever the case is, maybe I work four, but then I'll work a little bit extra over the weekend and then I'll make up for it that way. You know work what I mean? Life balance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a great way to have a work life balance for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I'm very fortunate with the company that I work for where I'm able to work from home every now and then. And so there have been times where I would want to go visit friends or family in other states and they're working too. So I'm able to bring my laptop, go to wherever and just work remotely. And then once it's time to log off, then I get to spend time with friends and family. So, and that was something that I learned from mom and dad was being able to work wherever, but you're still working. You don't have to take time away from work. You can continue to work and then enjoy yourself when, you know, you're able to log off. Absolutely. So let's uh, fast forward. Now we're going forward in time to about, I would say 10, 20 years in the future. You need a VHS uh, tape spinning sound. Spinning sound like, yeah, we'll, we'll add that in post. Fast forward. Yeah, fast forward sound. Prepare to fast forward. Fast forward. <laughs> so if, that was a Spaceballs joke for all of you. So that's not an inside joke. That is Spaceballs. Anyway, so uh, now we're at the point where I started 8020 Records. So be probably about two to three years in, maybe a little bit longer to, I, I'm trying to remember when when did you come on board? Was it 2012? Was like around I came that on board. To, yeah, so it's 2012, summer of 2012. Okay, so that was four so years. About four years in. Yeah, yeah, about four years into 8020. So uh, talk to me about what was because I know like you came over to my place and sat down and then kind of just mentioned the fact that you wanted to join 8020. So yeah. can you talk about more about what made you think about that and what made you lead to that decision to talk about that? Sure. So this was, you know, like we mentioned, it was summer 2012, but leading up to that, that would have been, you know, end of 2011. And at that time I had just graduated with my undergrad um, and I was working at Mayo Clinic and I wasn't happy with where my career was going there. Um, at the time, you know, the economy was still recovering, but more importantly, um, Obamacare was on the horizon and hadn't passed yet. And since I was working for a hospital, they didn't know what the ramifications were going to be of Obamacare. So they were under um, strict hiring freezes. Um, It was very hard to move around. And one of the things that I realized, and it's kind of funny because even to this day, it's actually getting worse. I'm seeing more and more articles about it, which is an entry-level job isn't really an entry-level job. Even though you graduate with a degree, people still want years of experience. Now, I had some years of experience at Mayo Clinic, but it was in finance, which I wanted to get away from. Um, you know, I, Mike, you obviously know this. You know, I, my first major was accounting, but about three years in, I realized that wasn't for me. And so while I was so far along with it, I decided to continue it as a double major. And then I added computer information systems as a secondary major because I kind of wanted to move into that realm. Um, and I had a couple of opportunities at Mayo Clinic. Um, but same thing. I wasn't qualified for those positions. I didn't have the experience. So what ended up happening was I was kind of in this rut where I didn't know what to do. I wanted to move. I wanted to get more experience, but Mayo Clinic wasn't allowing me to move around and no other company would hire me because I didn't have the experience. So that was kind of what got me thinking, okay, well, what are my other options? And that was the one thing that mom and dad had always taught us is, you know, you always think outside the box, look at all possibilities. And obviously that entrepreneurial spirit is within me as well, not to the same extent as everyone else, but 
you know, I saw everything that you were doing, and I'm like, hmm, well, I can see where I can add value. You know, always growing up between you and I, we look at things in very different ways. Um, I'm definitely more of the analytical side. You're more of the creative side. And so we definitely make a good pair. And so we would have discussions about 80-20, and I would always see things from a different perspective, and vice versa, I would talk to you and you would provide things from a different perspective. So I thought, okay, well, maybe something could work here. Maybe I could add value, not to mention for my own selfish reasons, this now gives me experience. It's funny that you mentioned that too, because even before you came on board, you're one of my trusted confidants on everything. And so whenever I come up with an idea, you're one of the very first people I can go to because I like to joke that if if the answer that you give me back is not tearing it apart, then I know I'm onto something because you will always, I, you will always find some sort of flaw or some sort you always will play the devil's advocate and anything I pass. And that's one of the reasons why I always respect your opinion is that you, you know, you never try to sugar sugarcoat anything. You're always very direct with me. And at the same token too, though, is that you're always reasonable. You're not, you're not in the pessimistic where you always look at for the doom and gloom. You look at it from a realistic standpoint of this, this is the situation that I can possibly see you getting into, or these are the problems that or challenges that may be faced because of this idea. Mm-hmm. And then, or if you say, yeah, that sounds cool. I'm like, wow, I found something amazing. <laughs> Cause you do, you really do a thorough job as far as trying to find, you know, where there can be potential issues. And that's just something that I always uh, admired about you is that you really are good about looking at those different types of things. And uh, I I hope I got a little bit better over time because I I know I used to be back then very overly optimistic about everything. And so I was able to ground myself a little bit more and saying, okay, if I really want to do this, how do I actually go about doing this? How do I make it work? What are the challenges I'm going to face leading up to this and even even then if it's worth it so yeah uh, and i think that was also one of the things that i've learned over the years um i definitely leaned more on the pessimistic side um but now over the years of more experience both at eighty twenty and where i am now and have been for the past many years um i've learned what works what doesn't work and so when something doesn't feel right something where i'm like hmm, this could go wrong I now have more experience to back that up. I can say these are things that I have seen in the past that don't work. But conversely, I've also seen things where I'm like, hmm, those things may not work, but then they actually do work. And so it's kind of helped me fine tune when I become a devil's advocate. Um, A lot of times now I'll speak up when someone's getting a little too confident on something and they just, someone's going to go down a path and they're not looking at stopping whatsoever. And so you do it to kind of pump the brakes and say, Look, these are things that you have to consider before moving forward. But if someone's being more logical about it, I significantly reduce how much of a devil's advocate I am. Because that was one thing that um, I learned from being at eighty twenty was I would open my mouth too soon. I don't, I don't want to say too much. I'll say too soon. Yeah, I would um, say too soon. It would be better. And, and that's something that actually... Um, not only have I taken that lesson to heart, I'm actually now giving that lesson to some of my coworkers, especially ones that um, are very much the same mentality that I was. Um, you know, I have coworkers who are in their early 20s, so they're just starting out with their career, and they they will start looking from the that devil's advocate side, or you know, we'll bring up an idea, or we'll be in a brainstorming session, and they'll start just looking at ideas and start tearing them apart and everything like that. Um, And that was one of the lessons that I learned because the people that we would work with, we would always kind of be in that idea generation phase, that brainstorming phase. And my initial reaction is whenever I hear an idea, I just immediately think of the validity of that idea. What could go wrong? And that really dampens the environment. Because when people are in that brainstorming phase and they're just constantly coming up with ideas, you don't want to bring that down. You don't want them to go further on than an idea. You just want them to keep on generating all these different ideas. Um, And then after you have those list of ideas and you start looking at the validity of all of them, that's when you speak up and say, I'm not sure about this one. These are the potential things that can go wrong, so on and so forth. Um, And so that's what I'm trying to do with some of my colleagues, especially when we get into a brainstorming idea. Um, I'll be like... We're just going to brainstorm now. 
we're not going to talk about the pro potential problems of any of these ideas. We're just going to write them down, and then we're going to circle back and look at what's valid, what's not, and that's when you can really trash these things apart. Yeah, and, and I, I, sorry, uh, I was no, going to go say it. Uh, that it works for you know what I found works for me too is that knowing that's how you are is that it helped train me on when should I be approaching you with ideas as well, because I know where that's where you bring the value. So what I'll do is that I'll, when I come up with an initial idea, and sometimes I'll even tell you, it depends, it depends. So sometimes I'll go ahead and tell you right away, but also give you the caveat saying, look, I literally came up with this idea about 30 minutes ago. There hasn't been much yeah. thought into this. So I usually will give you some sort of, you know, I would give you a heads up that this may not be fl uh, fleshed out just yet. But mostly I would have an idea. I would kind of work on it a little bit myself and then mull on it for a little while and try to, you know, even myself practice on, okay, what are the potential issues or challenges for this particular idea? And then once I think I have something in place that this might be a really cool thing, then I pass it along to you saying, okay, now I need to really get it through the works. Okay, what, what things should I be looking out for? And ironically, that happens fairly quickly. It doesn't take me mm -hmm. long but between when I come up with an idea. I just want to have it a full-fledged idea because... You know, that's the other thing, too, is that you'll make me back up my claims. Like if you're going to that's the other thing, too, is that you yeah. I have to convince you that this is a good idea. It's not just telling pitching the idea to you and just saying, what do you think? I have to convince you that this is going to be a good idea. And that puts me on my toes because I if I you know, if I have to convince you, then that's going to make it a lot easier to convince others, which yeah. is then the well, next step. And when you bring an idea up to me, you know honestly i don't care it's not something that impacts me so when i ask those questions i'm really making sure that you're asking yourself the right questions so did you think through this um or were you just kind of did you have this idea and you're like oh this is going to work instead of thinking through okay how am i actually going to do this and so when i ask questions you know you're in a very different industry than i'm in i don't really have much of an invested interest in the music industry my only invested interest in what's going on is your success. So when you bring something up, I don't ask questions because I care about being right or that I want to see if I can take this idea from you. It's I just want to make sure that what the path that you go down is a path that's already ready for success. I always appreciated that. So I'm trying to remember the conversation we had because I remember that we were on my living room couch when we mm -hmm. talked about this. And, uh, so I remember it was actually a very, it was like almost like a, it was like a business transaction. It was like very formal, like kind of going back and yeah. forth um, of that conversation. And I, I, I do remember that I, it was definitely something I was not expecting. I will, I'll admit to that. It was not, ex I was not expecting you to come there saying, cause like you mentioned, you had, you show no interest in the music industry mm -hmm. whatsoever. And yeah, you would help me out from uh, quite often. Um, but I know that because we're brothers, we just support each other in general, but exactly. I never thought that you would be coming to me on asking for official, an official capacity in working at a 20 records. So uh, what, yeah, I know you mentioned that you were trying, you were trying to find a new aspect for your career and so forth. Uh, but we always been supporting each other before. So what made you decide to make that switch where you want to make it a little bit more official? A couple of things. One from the optimistic side was, hey, if this is something that's going to be successful, I want to get on board. You know, at the time, let's see, mom and dad, well, obviously they already had their software company, which was definitely a successful company at that point. And then their photography company, I don't think it was successful yet. I think it was still very, very, very early on, uh, if I remember correctly. My ears uh, aren't blending together too much right now. Um, but they were definitely on a path for success. You know, they were getting more people interested, and they were no longer in the fam family and friends zone. They were they were going out and getting people totally external from our internal network to come in and pay for their services. And I think that really kind of got to me, where it's like, hmm. I'm in corporate America. I'm not enjoying what I'm doing. I can't really move around. And, you know, when you look at what mom and dad are able to do, you know, they come up with an idea and they just go for it. They don't need permission. They don't need to do any of that. They just go for it if they think their idea is valid. And there's definitely um, 
definitely some interest in doing that. And so that was kind of why I wanted to see what 8020 was all about. Um, and just being an entrepreneur myself was, hey, this thing could be successful. Let's see if we can give it a try. And then also from a selfish perspective, you know, when you're saying that it's different saying I'm helping my brother with his record label than I'm a partner with a record label. That's very true. And so from a from a selfish perspective, um, that was a key thing. Not to mention, if I remember the timing right, I think this was also when I decided to go back to school to get my MBA. Yeah, it was. Because if you remember correctly, and I want to bring this up, is that you actually use A Toy Records as part of one of your projects. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> that was definitely later on, though. That's um, true. That was I later did, on. I, I didn't start until fall of 2013. Um, but I believe I started the application process in summer of 2012 is when I started um, researching schools, studying for the GMAT, all that fun stuff. Yeah, and I think also at the time going through my head was, hey, this would be a really good opportunity to get into a business school and be able to apply things that I'm learning into a real life situation and vice versa, take all that knowledge and bring it into school. Which is why it made sense at the time for me. And, you know, looking at it from my perspective was you coming on board, just like we were talking about before, is that you, we complement each other fairly well mm -hmm. because we come at it from two different perspectives, but we also have that mutual respect for each other. And you come at it from a more analytical standpoint, which, especially at the time, I really needed. I needed somebody who was going to be a lot more going kind of deep diving into what we were doing and really start developing the organization a structure and just the systems and processes and so forth because even four years in I still was trying to figure out <laughs> I'm still trying to figure things out what are you talking about 12 years 12 years later but uh it still was one of those things where I needed somebody who's going to give that grounding that structure to what what I was already creating and so that's mm -hmm. why I thought it was a good idea to come on board. We already know, obviously, we already know each other. We already have that mutual respect. I know what you can bring to the table. So I thought to myself, well, this this could be really, this could be great. This could be something that you and I can work on together. It's a new type of uh, venture that we can do together. It was something exciting. That's something that we can, you know, we can talk about as well. So that's something that I really latched onto and I thought it would be a really, really good thing to come aboard, especially for the fact that you were going for your MBA as well. So I knew that mm -hmm. you would be busy with your MBA, but at the same token too, you would be able to apply what you're learning in the MBA to eighty twenty records. Yep. So uh, for the experience itself, uh, is there anything, uh, any kind of favorite memory or anything that you really liked to work on when you were working with the company? There are a couple of things from a business perspective or from a technical perspective. It was getting more involved with um, Excel macros. So I know one of the biggest challenges was figuring out how how much royalties we owed artists and how we were going to keep track of that. And, and you had stuff up on a couple of different sites and getting reports from all these different locations. So how do you compile all these so that way you can just spit out one number and report it out to your artists? And so that was, for me, it was a fun challenge and something that I definitely enjoyed doing. Um, you know, I look back on it, and I'm like, wow, that was really amateur. Um, but it, it was fun, and it got me thinking in that kind of way. And, you know, it's definitely led me towards, you know, my current path of, you know, what I enjoy doing at work it was because of, you know, what I learned from Mayo Clinic and enjoying how to create macros. And then taking that to the 11th degree was by building that, that whole macro platform um, to track royalties. So I really enjoyed those kinds of challenges in, you know, getting our house in order. But then also from the, the personal perspective, um, you know, going out to LA with all the different artists and, you know, getting to hang out there, um, going into the green rooms and just hanging out with artists and all that creativity, because that's something for me, I'm not a creative person. You know, I do not, I did not get that gene from our family. I'm very, very analytical. So being around creative people for me is, it, it's a, it's a relief. It's a fun little change of pace. Um, so definitely our trips to LA and hanging out with everyone, that was a lot of fun. And then just, you know, being here and going to, um, you know, our co-working space and having people come in and working with all the different volunteers and interns and just all that creativity was 
kind of refreshing. I agree. One of the things I always like to say when people ask me about what it's like to run a record label is I like to say that I get to be creative with people that are more creative than me. And that's something that is such a joy and a pleasure to do because of that exact reason is that I get, you know, I, I, I'm somewhat creative, but I mean, in comparison to the artists that we work with, not even close. And that gives me so much joy that I get to work with these people and help them take their visions and try to make them into reality and make money from it. I mean, it gives me so much, so much pleasure to do those different types of things. And it gives me more ideas too, while I'm at it. So it helps me become creative and to expand my own creativity and to Mm -hmm. hopefully improve upon their creativity as well. So uh, then we'll move on a little bit. So is there, were there any things that you didn't like that? <laughs> Cause I know there was a couple of things <laughs> that you didn't like. Was there, were, what were the things that you didn't like that you end up doing for, uh, for the label? Uh, the most frustrating part was working with artists. Um, so the best part was working with artists. The worst part was also working with artists, um, for the same exact reason. Um, they're very creative and I'm analytical. So, yes, it was refreshing being around them and having that different mindset. But at the same time, when I tried to get a point across, it just fell on deaf ears because they didn't care. So one of my uh, one of my frust- most frustrating memories was with one of our bands in L.A. We had a, a recording that was coming up. They had an album that was going to drop. And they released it early and they started promoting it early. And we already had a plan in place and everything. And we were then trying to figure out, okay, well, how are we going to get everyone back on the same page and, you know, fix this? And so I remember you had drafted an email and you were not happy. You were, you were just straight up pissed off. I was furious, so I re- yeah. Yeah. So I read the email. I'm like, this is not going to work because um, knowing this band, they, they were not going to respond well. They were not going to – basically all we wanted was a meeting with – all of the band members. Yep. And I knew this email wasn't going to accomplish that task. They were going to get defensive and you weren't going to get a meeting or you're only going to get a meeting with a few people. And you're like, well, fine. You write it. I'm like, all right. So I did. I took a stab at it. And we sent the email across. And I'll never forget because two things happened. One, we did get a meeting with all the band members and they were not defensive at all. So we were actually able to have a conversation. Yeah. The second thing that happened was I got a phone call from one of the band members. And it was kind of funny because he was mentioning that when he was in school, uh, one thing that he had learned was to always take what he was learning in school and apply it to, you know, a real life context. And I I didn't want to, I was out with some of my, uh, at this time I was still getting my MBA. So I was out with some of my MBA friends. And so I didn't want to drag the conversation on any longer and get into an argument. So I just, you know, appreciated his comments and we say goodbye. But I was thinking to myself that that's exactly what we did. Um, you know, I actually was in, um, at the time, an organizational behavior course and it talked about how you communicate with, well, in this sense, um, employees to get what you need. And we had drafted the email to get a meeting with all four members where they weren't defensive and we accomplished that goal. So for me, it was... It was a very frustrating moment because you, it's never fun having to draft an email when you're upset. Um, and even that conversation was not a fun conversation to have, but it was one that was very necessary. And so I learned a good lesson there, which was make sure you know how your message is going to be received because it doesn't matter the message you intend. Because if that's not how it's received, it doesn't matter. 100% agree. And that's why... That was a very big learning lesson for myself too because of that. And something that I learned from you was you have to be very tactful on how you respond, especially in frustrating and situations that you know will lead into some sort of conflict. And I definitely took that to heart. And every single time I've been in a situation, try to see how – look, always looking at it from their perspective and keeping that those things in mind. And I tell – I told all my, I told my own art, you know, we, I tell the artists on 820 this too, is that you always want to look on the other side. You want to look at mm-hmm. other, the other person's perspective on things, because even if it doesn't make sense to you, even if it doesn't, it looks like it's completely irrational in their mind, it was hundred percent rational. And yep. you, you can't argue with that. 
So you have to un- you have to un- you have to understand where they're coming from, but at the same token too, it you need to make sure that they understand where you're coming from as well, and so that this way there's some sort of mutual ground. And, and to- it, it, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. It, it's unfortunate that when it doesn't happen, there's been plenty of times where there's just miscommunication and that you're not setting the right expectations and so forth. But at the same token too, that's why it's so important. I mean, communication is everything. I yeah. tell people that all the time. It's communication is so 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 important, and it definitely helps to have a third party. Yes. Um, so at work, um, most of the time we try not to have individual things going on. We try to make sure that there's at least one other person involved in the situation, and that's just for coverage purposes. You know, I work in corporate America, so we get vacation time. People go on vacation, and so you want to make sure that whatever you're working on, if you're if you're if you get sick, if you're going on vacation or whatever, you can be able to pass that on to someone else. But the other thing is it really helps us if you need to bounce an idea off of someone, you're always going to have someone that's kind of in the loop. And so if someone sends me an email that really frustrates the heck out of me, I'll reach out to a colleague and I'll just say, this is the situation. This is how I'm planning on responding what do you think? Am I going overboard here? Am I missing something? So it's always good to have someone to bounce an idea off of, um, especially when you're in an emotional state. Because when you react to a situation, that's when you make a fool out of yourself and you can make the situation even worse. Yep. I see that all, all the time with uh, with uh, artists. They'll go ahead and post whatever they want on social media. And, you know, look, I'm, I'm never a big believer in preventing people from speaking their minds with the same token, too. They have to also understand their cons- the consequences that they are yeah. saying certain things out of a re- emotional reaction state and not really thinking things through because there usually will be some sort of consequence when you do something like that. Yep. Which then uh, leads me to the next aspect of it then is, you know, a couple of years go by, you're going through your MBA program and so forth. And uh, after a while, in the beginning, everything was great. Like, you know, we were still trying to figure out, you know, what you were going to exactly do. I know we had created all kinds of documents as far as like what your responsibilities were and so forth. And, you know, uh, like you said, the trips out to LA and just spending time with the artists and so forth was great. But about a couple of years in, I noticed that your interest level was waning. And so I want to talk about that a little bit more. Uh, do you, do you remember that what your mind was at the time when you started losing interest and what were you feeling at that point? So it wasn't kind of like a one moment I was really enjoying it and then the next I just didn't like it at all. It, it faded over time. And I think part of that was just it was refreshing being around creative minds, but at the same time it was very frustrating being around minds that weren't analytical. Um, and I think that became very frustrating for me, especially as I started making closer friendships with my MBA colleagues. Um, you know, We would have conversations that were much more analytical um, and, a, and it got me thinking in different ways and I felt open to just challenge them on anything that they said. And I felt like every time I would bring that up in 8020, um, people would always basically want me to just shut up. They didn't want to hear what I had to say. They didn't care that, you know, something may not work. Now, granted, part of it was definitely on me. You know, I still hadn't learned the, the tactful way of saying, you know, are you sure about this idea? So I still didn't learn that skill, but it was very frustrating being in an environment where you felt like you weren't making a difference anymore. You know, we had already had the macro running for the artists, but it wasn't making a difference really. Um, every single time we would have some new thing that would go wrong um, or another tool that had to be added, another system. So it, it kind of worked, but not really. And just, I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't engaging my mind. Um, and so for all those reasons, it just, that's why I kind of lost interest in doing it. it was because I just, I wasn't getting an enjoy, any enjoyment out of it. I didn't feel like my mind was being engaged in what I was doing. And like we already mentioned, I wasn't invested in the music industry. So there was no part of it that really brought me a sense of joy and purpose, which, you know, sitting here now, it's very, very important in whatever you do that you do have a sense of purpose in what you do. And I just wasn't getting that at 8020. Um, but I think by far the most important thing was it was putting a strain on our relationship. Um, you know, for a while, everything was going great, like you said. 
Um, we were having great conversations. But then it became very clear that you know, we were always in that idea generation phase. Always. There was no point where we would go into the validity of it. It was just, hey, let's come up with ideas and then let's just go run with it. And no one wanted to hear me say, hey, are we sure about this idea? And the other thing too is I would say this idea isn't great because of these reasons and I didn't have a solution. And that was the other thing that I kind of you know took to heart now is making sure that whenever I open my mouth, it's either preface it with saying, I know I don't have a solution, but these are things that I, I'm seeing that could be potential problems that you might want to consider. But I really, really try to make sure that if I'm going to open my mouth saying this idea sucks, that I have a solution in mind and an alternative that looks at all the problems that I was talking about and mitigates those. Or at least maybe not an alternate solution, but saying, hey, these are things you can do to mitigate those problems. So, you know, going back to just our relationship, every time we would hang out or whatever, it was always business, always we never really had the time to talk about life, hang out, play Magic, play Smash Brothers, whatever. It was, you know, we there was so much going on, and we were always trying to expand the business and make sure things were running smoothly. Um, you had the stress of making sure that bills were getting paid. And so, you know, we never really got to hang, hang out. And I think that put a huge strain on our relationship because – as we were having more and more conversations about business, we would disagree. You would have your idea, and I would say, no, that idea is stupid, and these are the reasons why. And you're like, well, do you have a solution? I'll be like, well, no, but your idea still sucks. And that doesn't put us in a good position because you know, having those disagreements are fine. They're healthy. You need to have them. But at the same time, you need to have the opposite. You need to have times where you're building a relationship, you're agreeing on things, and we didn't have that. So pretty much all of our interactions were, your idea sucks. Well, you don't have anything better, so this is what we're going to do anyway. And then, hey, look at that. The idea doesn't work out. And so I think that got very frustrating for the both of us. It, it was because I, I felt, because especially back then too, when I was coming up with ideas, again, I was at that time, I was still being very overly optimistic. So when I see a challenge, I I've saw a brick wall. And in my mind, you were just a gigantic brick wall. And so I was, it was not becoming enjoyable because I was getting so frustrated because like you mentioned, without, you know, it wasn't even just about the fact that you were not bringing up a solution. It was just that I couldn't see a solution myself either. You were making good points, but for me, the goal is to move forward and to, you know, whichever, you know, to overcome any kind of obstacles. And even if we couldn't figure out exactly how to overcome that particular obstacle, at that point in time, I was saying, well, let's just, we'll just go, we'll just go for it. You know, we'll just go ahead and try things out. And if it was a problem, it becomes a problem. If it does, doesn't become a problem, it doesn't become a problem. And I know that that frustrated the hell out of you. <laughs> so yeah. uh, because of those reasons, because sometimes I just like to try things and then if it fails, it fails. Because then yeah. I learn from I learn from those failures. And that's how I learn personally. It's like I just jumped into it with both feet in, seeing what happens. And then if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And then if it failed, why, why does it fail? Now, uh, my approach is a little bit more strategic for sure. And that I still like to jump in, but I usually like to have certain things prepared. And I developed a system myself personally on when I'm coming with ideas and going through like a step-by-step -step process so that I'm not wasting my time. And I think that was also a big thing too, is back then, uh, I wasn't so much worried about the time of where my time was spent. I just wanted to do things and just keep on doing things until something stuck. And now I'm very much more respectful of time in general. And because of those reasons, I want to make sure that if I'm investing into something, that it's something that I really see some sort of validity towards. Yeah, uh, and I've definitely noticed that over the years. You know, you've taken my advice to heart and, and vice versa. I've taken your advice to heart, but definitely our approaches have... You know, we, I would say we were both at the extremes and we both kind of moved more towards the middle and taking the other person's approach. So hopefully we come up with better ideas before we open our mouths. No, I, I, I 100% agree. And, you know, it was, it was very heartbreaking at the time because you're right. It's like I, I noticed myself that all we were talking about was business and it was never good. It was almost all the time was arguments. And that was that went on for quite some time. 
And that, I think, was a thing. It wasn't just a short burst of where we were frustrated with each other. In fact, the original co-founder, which is a good friend of mine, Zach, that he, he and I had that same type of relationship. Zach was very much a realist, pessimistic person. So mm-hmm. I'll come up with the idea and he would try to find, he would come up with all the flaws that are in the idea and it drove me nuts. And we would have shouting matches over those things. In fact, ironically, that's one of the reasons why A20 Records got started <laughs> was because we had a shouting match about our previous uh, venture together. And out of that, Zach randomly mentioned, well, let's start a record label. So, it wasn't it wasn't something that i was uh not used to it was not something that i was unaccustomed to at the time but at the same token that was the only like there was no solutions it was just yeah. problems and that definitely took a toll on us cuz you're right we never we didn't take the time to make sure that our you know that you know our personal relationship came first and I, that's something that again it was the work life balance right it was all work and there was no life there was no and hanging it, out, and that definitely took a big toll. Yeah, and it didn't help that at the time, you know, I was getting my MBA, so that ate up a lot of my time, and I was trying to build my network there. And so it was just, there was, I barely had enough time to just do anything. And so it was, all my time was spent either networking with my colleagues, going to school, getting schoolwork done, or working on eighty twenty. So I had no time really for anything else. And so I think all that just, it just made it a a bad situation. I agree. And it was, it was tough too, because I didn't know really how to approach you about it. And because it was, you know, at that point in time, our relationship was very fragile and Mm -hmm. I didn't know how, how to, you know, how to approach you for it. Cause I can see that your interest was, was waning. I can see that was no longer a priority by any means and that you're focusing on your MBA. And here, you know, here we are with, you know, a partnership where the expectation was for you to do these responsibilities and you weren't doing them. And, yeah. uh, I didn't know how to really talk to you about that. And it was, you know, I, there would be times I was literally in tears cause I didn't, I knew I was losing my brother and I didn't know what to do about it. And so I'm glad that I think it was some point, I think it was very nonchalant, but you basically came to me and said, Hey, I'm not really interested in a 20 more. And I said, Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was so re- I was more relieved because I wasn't, I, I, I didn't want to come to you and saying, Brian, you're not doing, you're supposed to be doing it, but I can't fire you because you're a partner. What, what we're going to do now. So, you know, I didn't want to go down that, that road either, because again, we, you know, that, our, our relationship at the time was just the business. There was nothing else. Yeah. So I think, so I was actually so relieved when you mentioned that it was best for you to move on. And I knew it was a long time coming, but I, I, I never, I, I don't like, like to say I have regrets, but I would definitely want to say that there are many lessons to be learned from these things. And the lesson that I learned from there is that it's much better to approach conflicts much earlier than letting it fester. And it's something that I keep on learning even today. And I'm the kind of person that doesn't like conflict and you're the same way too. Oh yeah. Yep. So that was a big problem is that we don't like conflict. So because of those reasons, we weren't talking to each other about how we were feeling and that made things even worse. Yeah. And I think for me, the reason why I didn't bring it up, well, I think the reason why I brought it up when I did, um, was because I was in a position where I knew what I was doing. Whereas before I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, so I didn't, I didn't know how to approach you because, sure, my interest wasn't in it, but I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I didn't, I guess I didn't want to let it go because, you know, if things didn't pan out, you know, I still wanted that to kind of lean back on. And so, you know, part of the MBA, I need to get an internship. And I didn't get any of my top picks. I got two offers and both were very lowball offers because they partnered with the school. So they knew that everyone needed an internship and they took advantage of that situation. And I remember there was one in particular where, um, well, actually both, they were both kind of shady. One, they were like 10 bucks an hour. And I was making over 20 when I was working at Mail Clinic. I'm like, um, excuse you, are you sure that's not a typo? And they're like, no, but we can bump it up to 20. And I knew right away that I was not going to accept that offer. I'm like, there's no way that you're going to offer 10 and then immediately jump to 20. That tells me right there you're a shady company. 
Um, and then the other company, um, what was it? I think it was, I want to say it was project management and supply chain. I think it was an aerospace company. Um, and I interviewed and everything seemed to be going great. And then they brought me in for another interview and they had a couple of other folks in there for the, uh, it was a panel interview and I got the job, but they said that the other person on the panel was part of, um, another area of supply chain. I think it was their procurement or something like that. And I did not jive with that guy during the interview at all. Uh, and they're like, he's going to be your mentor. These are your job uh, responsibilities. And I'm like, that's not what I applied for. So thanks, but no, I'm going to pass. And so I fell back on 80-20. I'm like, well, you know what? They tell me I need to have an internship. What better internship than trying to um, build my own company? So you know, I tried to do that that summer. And I think that summer was kind of when things started going down. Just because I had the time, but I was starting to lose the passion. I didn't feel like I was productive. I didn't feel like I was really adding a lot of value. Um, and it kind of felt like we were always kind of in the same you know, rut. We were always trying to come up with ideas, but we would just hit a brick wall and it, it just wouldn't go anywhere. And I think that's where things kind of started getting um, – where I started losing the passion. And then once school started up again, um, I started getting – involved with a lot more of the networking events with my colleagues um you know one thing i was doing was i was doing a double program at the time it was both the mba but then also a master's um, in information management and i actually ended up dropping the information management degree because it was tuesday and thursday nights from like i don't know 6 to 9 p.m or something like that and within a week i'm like this is not what I want to do because I was listening to a lot of my colleagues and they were like, yeah, we're going to go do this. We're going to go hang out. We're going to go do whatever. Um, and I was realizing that by not participating, I was losing out on a lot of other opportunities. So even though I didn't necessarily care about that specific thing they were doing, it's out of that they had these other things that were coming up. And I would sit in class and I'm like, either I already knew this or I'm never going to need this. And at the end of the day, I already have a computer information systems undergrad, so getting a manage, or a, a master's degree in that field doesn't really give me that much more value. So I decided to drop it because it wasn't adding much to my overall happiness, and it definitely wasn't going to help my career. So by doing that, though, I ended up spending more time with my colleagues, which took away more time from 8020, and because I didn't have the passion or the motivation to do stuff for 8020, I'm like, well, I can either do something that really isn't making any progress because I felt like whatever I was doing wasn't helping the company. And so I could do stuff that wasn't progressing anything, wasn't increasing my happiness, or I could go hang out with people that were now becoming my friends. And, you know, that's a very easy choice to make. You know, I think most people would say that, you know, if they didn't have to, if they could still make the same amount of money and not have to go to work, they're going to do that probably. Um, and in this case, you know, I wasn't making any money with 8020. I wasn't, I didn't feel like my work was making 8020 any money. So it was kind of like, why am I doing this? No one cares. So that's why I would always then go and spend time with, um, my MBA classmates. And that kind of just progressed even further to the point where I'm like, why am I part of this company? What am I doing to add value? And it just kind of led to this death spiral of, I'm not doing anything, so why bother? Let's go do other things. And that's when I started looking into, you know, applying for other companies to to get a job. That's the other thing I learned too over the years is that it's that even though something is working in the beginning doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work forever. Mm-hmm. The other aspect too is that it is okay for people to move on. And uh that I'm now legitimately happy when you know, when people move on, especially if they are progressing in their careers to other things is that it, you know, it's uh, having that kind of a relationship doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to, you know, ideally would like to people to stay as long as possible, especially if mm-hmm. it's working out. But if it, if, but I also know too, that sometimes people will lose the passion on things. I, I, for our team, especially in general, just our interns, I don't expect them to stay with us forever. So I expect them to move on and to experience other different things. And we've had interns that move on. We have one intern that works at Fender now. And so I'm really, you know, really, really excited that they're able to extend on. And especially at the time, since it was still so early on, I think it was a a part of my own self-doubt 
in that aspect in my own insecurities that I was looking to build this huge company and, you know, at the time was just spinning wheels and not showing, not showing any kind of major, we were making some progress, but not, not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It was very unrealistic what I wanted to accomplish at that time. And so I was so frustrated, but also I was having this expectation that people would stick with me for the whole, the whole run through and we just do it forever. And that's just not realistic. And so those are some of the things I learned. And on top of that too, adding to all those lessons is again, the communication aspect of it, being honest and transparent with, with, with uh, your peers for sure. And being reasonable, but bringing things up much earlier on, I felt that, I mean, who knows what would happen at the time, but I feel like we would definitely have alleviated a lot of our headaches and heartaches if we approached each other much earlier on and expressed our concerns and, you know, what we were feeling at the time. I think that we were either be able to resolve them in some form or fashion, probably would end up being the same way, but definitely would have been a lot less painful, I think, in the long run. Agreed. So fortunately, though, ladies and gentlemen, there's a, a good part of the the story, which is after Brian, you left the company, you went on to work for Intel mm-hmm. shortly thereafter. And uh, one of my favorites, one of the things that makes me the most proud about doing what I did was that your experience with 8020 Records helped you with that, with uh, landing that job. So can you talk more about yeah. that interview? Sure. So that interview, um, actually, it, it's kind of funny because I took my experience from 8020 to get the job, and then I used the job to get basically use it as my way out for 8020 so that way we could avoid conflict. I'll be like, hey, I got a full-time job. I, I can't afford to really spend the time with 8020, so I think it was kind of my way out. Um, but the position was a rotating program. So it basically meant every 9 to 12 months, I would go from one position into another position into another position and then eventually find a permanent home. And they're quite, they had a um, – it wasn't a panel interview. It was um, several rounds. Um, well, I don't want to say rounds because you know a lot of times you think rounds is you go in and then you see who progresses to the, the next round. But it's, it was kind of like a panel interview, but you would do each one individually. So the first person, um, and I can't remember the order, but basically they had a pricing person, a person in project management, and then a person in marketing. Now, because I had experience with basically all three of those, every single question they asked me, I was able to give a solid answer. And these were behavioral interview questions. So it was, you know, tell me about a time when, blah, 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 blah. And so I would be able to give them a good example of every single instance, um, just because, you know, when you're running your own business, you have to wear multiple hats. You have to be someone responsible for pricing, someone responsible for project management, someone responsible for marketing, someone responsible for legal, all that fun stuff. Um, and, you know, in our partnership, yeah, we kind of had our our own roles, but there was a lot of things where we just overlapped. We partnered on a lot of stuff where it was, hey, we need to think about pricing. Okay, we would work through it together. Hey, we need to think about a marketing idea. You would kind of come up with the overall suggestion, and then I would look at, okay, well, what's the effectiveness of this? Um, and that really helped me answer all these questions because I had actual real-life experience, which I think for a lot of people, they don't have. Not when you're talking about going to um, – you know, a Fortune 100 uh, company, a lot of people are going to be kind of shoehorned into one group. So you might have a finance person or a marketing person, but you're not going to have a lot of overlap. And so I think that gave me a huge leg up on everyone else that was applying for that position. And didn't one of the interviewers actually mention about the uh, about the uh, uh, partnering up with 8020 Records and your partnership there? I don't remember. You don't remember that? You brought that up. Mm-mm. So I, I remember that you, you mentioned that when you actually had an, an interview that they actually looked at your resume and then they mentioned the fact of you worked at a record label and that really intrigued them at the time. That was probably the marketing person. It was the marketing per- I'm sure it would be. I know in many cases your memory is sometimes better than mine, so... That's really surprising for you to say that. Usually, are in the some ones, cases, yeah. In some cases, we were we were just you know we like to joke before that he's usually right about at least eighty to ninety percent of the time, and and if I'm right, I have to prove like I have to have like this whole case lined up of how I'm right. 
but you're uh, very trusting. I'm very trusting. This is true. I'm very trusting. Well, because for me, it's if something makes sense, I'm not going to question it. You, on the other hand, is like it's not enough to make make it make sense. Like you're gonna have to really prove your point. Yep. And that's good because it keeps me on my toes. Like I like if I'm going to drive something home and being like, no, this is how it is. I really have to make sure that I'm on my A game. Though to be fair, you you're very trusting once someone has established their trustworthiness. Yes. Whereas it doesn't matter who you are, you can be you are my brother, and I still make you prove it. It's true. <laughs> it's very very true. Yeah, you 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 are very trusting, but the same token too is like you still. It's like it's not like you don't trust me. It's more or less that I'm constantly earning my trust, but it's because the fact that you trust me is the fact that I'm earning my trust. If that makes. Yeah. It does. It kind of makes sense. Trust me, it makes sense, everybody. Just just go with it. <laughs> brother logic. Yeah, brother logic. That's right. Uh, so, yeah, but um, no, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. And still to this day, you are still one of my trust, most trusted confidants. And I, you know everything that's going on with 8020. In fact, you know things going on that I tell before I even tell anybody else. Because that's how much your uh, feedback and your opinion means to me and making sure you, you are definitely my logic compass, if you will, and making sure that the ideas I'm coming up with are not going to cause any kind of major issues or not a waste of not only my time, but the time of, you know, the entire, you know, the entire organization, which is extremely important. And uh, I cannot be more appreciative and more grateful for that. So thank you. Of course. And, and likewise, you know, I come to you when I have challenges I'm facing at work and, you know, it, it gets frustrating from my perspective because sometimes I have to be careful what I say and what I talk about because, you know, I do work for Intel. So I, there are restrictions on me on what I can talk about to other people. Um, and also there are things where I'll ask you for opinions. Cause I'm like, I want to do this thing. Do you have any ideas? And you'll be like, well, how about this, 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 and this. And I'll be like, I have red tape. I cannot do that. Which is very frustrating, um, but I still, I, I still try to come to you for ideas because even if I can't do it, I can probably find someone who might be able to make it happen. And if anything else, it makes me sound smarter when I'm talking to my colleagues. Even though I didn't come up with the idea, I can at least leverage my own personal network, in this case you, to be like, hey, these are ideas that could work and it helps getting out of that group think mentality because sometimes, you know, I have my colleagues and so we'll bounce ideas off of each other all the time and we do a really good job about being devil's advocate. So a lot of us are, and that's one of our, one of the things about our culture at Intel is having that you always question each other, which is why it's a good fit for me. Um, but at the same time, you're still all in the same environment. You're not coming at it from sometimes a completely outside perspective. And I think that happened, uh, that really helps coming to you and also to mom and dad because you guys are all tech savvy as well. You understand a lot of the things that I'm going through. Um, and so I know I can come to you guys and you'll have a different perspective. Sometimes I can't use it because you're like, well, why don't you just go out and buy a computer? Uh, yeah, I can't. Um, you know, so for you guys, you can. I unfortunately am not in that position. But a lot of times you'll come up with an idea that's like, hmm, you know what? I didn't even think about that. And then I try to apply it to my workplace and sometimes with awesome success. You know, it's, it's, I think we're both very, very lucky that not only do we have each other, but we also have amazing parents that yes. we constantly look up to. And, um, they also give us great advice and feedback. And, uh, you know, it's one of those sayings that Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And I think that's very much the case in our situation is that we are very lucky mm. on how we were brought up. And that we were able to understand work-life balance. And even though it always wasn't calibrated the right way, we always were able to figure it out in the long run. In the end, we were still able to, we still love each other. We still respect each other. Uh, mm -hmm. Like we, I was talking about before, our relationship now is probably the strongest it's ever been. And I think yeah, it's because sure. of the fact that we've gone through a lot together over these many years. And, uh, you know, I... Like I said, no regrets whatsoever. I'm so glad uh, that everything worked out, and I'm so glad that I can come to you and that you can come to me, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I can't say it any better than you did. Well, thank you. 
I and tried. we know that you're, you're you're the word person. I'm not. Yes. You know how to say things right. <laughs> I try to. I try to. Otherwise, why would I be hosting a podcast, right? Fair. So I will leave with one more thing. Uh, I usually ask the guests for some sort of question. So for you, I think a good one would be, what is one of your guilty pleasures? Um... I don't know. <laughs> okay, let's figure out another one. What's one of your favorite Marvel films? See, now you just went into the opposite direction because that's way too easy. We all know that's the Avengers. There you go. Okay, so we got the Avengers, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't want to not give you too much of a curveball there. But uh, so, but anyway, I really appreciate being on the podcast. I hope everyone out there learned something from this because we do know that a lot of people mentioned about don't get into business with family. And I want to, from my own personal experience, show everyone what it's been like to not only uh, be, you know, have, you know, I've been in business with family for a very, very long time, not even with, uh, just with, with you, Brian, but also obviously with our folks, I worked for them for 12 years. So yeah. I was in the relationship relationships where I had family that were my partners. And I also had family that were my superiors. So I've been in it in every single angle, except for maybe family that I work, you know, that worked for me that I haven't been into just yet. But uh, until that happens, I've been in so many different situations, so I understand what it is like to work with family. And it's definitely possible, It doesn't, but it doesn't work for everybody. And I think that's also important to understand as well, is that it doesn't always work out. And the best advice I can possibly give any of you out there is that if you are looking to work with family, and I will also include friends in here too, because I think that's also anybody that you have a, a close personal relationship with, is that the personal relationship always comes first. And it sounds a little counterintuitive, but believe me, in the long run, it makes it makes it much more better for both the business as well as your own relationship is that our, you know, your friendships should always come first. Your relationship with your family should always come first because in the end, that really is the most important thing. And with those things in mind, your company is going to run better. You're going to be more, you're going to make decisions that may not make sense in the short term, but in the long term is going to be much better off. So don't rule out family. I'm not saying work with your family either, because sometimes, you know, if you're butting heads too much with somebody, like that's probably not the best way to look at it. But, you know, don't rule it out either, because you can also find so many benefits from doing so. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you so much, Brian, for being on this podcast. I really appreciate it. And uh, maybe My we'll bring pleasure. you Thanks on. for having me. Of course. Maybe we'll bring you on again soon. Maybe we'll talk about something else. Well, that would be fun. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the 8020 Show. To learn more about 8020 Records, you can check us out on pretty much any social media at 8020records or visit our website at www80 20records.com. Until next time, be happy, be healthy, and be productive.